Hey guys, it's Morgan here. I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we we time out. Wow, we! I'm so excited to be here with our guests, <laughs> where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. So today I'm joined, obviously, by my husband and co-host Josiah. How are you doing? Hi, guys. It's cold outside, but warm inside, and we're fired up to have this conversation today. And here we go. So we have an amazing guest that is going to be joining us today. Josiah, do you want to take the honor and privilege of telling our audience who that person is? I'm really pumped to be in season three and also to have Addison Bevere in studio with us today. So Addison is a man who appreciates the simple things in life. Time spent playing with his four kids, late night conversations with his wife, interesting words that no one uses. We'll see if you can work a few in. Challenge. Challenge extended. And he enjoys a meaningful day of work and, of course, a good book. Addison is the COO of Messenger International, an organization that impacts millions of people in over 150 countries through its various initiatives every year. He's the son of John and Lisa Bevere and the co-founder of something really cool and unique called sonsanddaughters.tv. To learn more about him, visit addisonbevere.com or just stay tuned for this episode. So Addison, thanks for being with us today. There we go. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, we're just going to get things kicked off right away so we don't waste your time and we know that you're a wellspring of knowledge. So we're going to start our conversation <laughs> and just dive right into question number one. Okay, and let's do it. Let's start with your story first. Addison, would you be willing to share your story, maybe your upbringing, a brief synopsis of maybe your calling into ministry overall? Wow. My whole story. Okay. And how many minutes are we doing this? Oh, man. We won't put a time limit on it, but <laughs> give us the 40 foot. No, Let I, the creativity I'll, flow. I'll give you, I'll, you know, I'll give this is what I'll do. I'll give you a high level overview and I'll insert some fun facts. There you go. How about that? That's great. Okay. Perfect. So, gr- grew up in an amazing family, amazing home. John and Lisa Devere are my parents. They're powerhouses. I couldn't imagine better parents. So, grew up in a great family dynamic, great ministry dynamic, but. I didn't want to go into ministry. I didn't want anything to do with ministry the way that I thought of ministry back then because I was terrified of being compared to my parents. Mm. And everyone would come up to be like, you're going to do this like your mom. You're going to do this like your dad. I'd be like, you don't know me. Like You have no idea who I am. You don't have no idea what I'm passionate about, what I'm gifted in. You don't know me. You're just saying that because of my parents. And so I ran from that for a bit. And God grabbed my attention. I did my own thing, business. Like I did that. I, grab my attention it was like look i've called you to serve wow under your parents at messenger international basically like, what are you going to do about it and i was like oh okay i will do it and it was a major change for me because that's not what i wanted to do it's not where i wanted to head and uh, god gave gave me this passion to serve my parents and that's where it started yeah and i've been doing that now for um, for 15 years almost 15 years been working alongside of them getting to support them behind the scenes do the operations type mm-hmm. stuff which was phenomenal and has been phenomenal and then i met my wife um this is i'm not necessarily recommending this to everyone out there just for the record but i definitely did some missionary dating did some flirting to convert. Um, <laughs> flirting to wife, convert. <laughs> met my wife through a mutual friend who this friend thought, hey, if I set up Julie with Addison, maybe Addison can lead Julie to the Lord. True story. Like she was she was wild. I had no idea how wild she was, but like she was doing drugs. She had multiple boyfriends. I mean, like the whole nine yards. Didn't even know what John 316 said. I mean, it, mm. she's she was uh, she was an interesting one. And anyway, we uh, we ended up going out hanging out together and i was able to lead her to the lord wow. and then she decided that she needed to go to bible school she was going to a state college in texas and she's like no i need to go to bible school so she did that and this bible school that she went to we weren't allowed to talk because we had a soul tie that's a thing in like the christian world like the soul tie that emotional connection right yep. and i guess a lot of young adult programs don't like that being in the mix when someone's going through that internship or through the Bible school. So we had to cut that off. So we wow. weren't allowed to talk for 275 days, nothing, no wow. email, 
no mail, no MySpace. It was MySpace at the time. No Facebook, nothing. And I wrote her every day for 275 days, but I wow. couldn't send the letters. So I gave wow. her over 400 pages worth of letters after she graduated and asked her to marry me because I'm three years older than her. That's and, uh, My mouth is like wide open right now, like on the floor when he tells that story. <laughs> <laughs> You're intense. So, so it was intense. Yes, it was intense. So that that was uh, that was amazing. We got married five months after that. She got pregnant two months after that. So it was a whirlwind for us. That was not intentional. We were on like a four or five year plan. Um, we wanted to wait to have kids, but God had another plan for us. And so four kids later now, um, we love it. We absolutely love it. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it going a, a different way than it did. I see God's providence and all of it and it's beautiful. So, and, and what I do at Messenger is I'm the COO of, of operations. So we do work in over a hundred countries. Our big thing is we we want everyone to see themselves as a messenger. Our lives yeah. are supposed to tell the story of the gospel. So we use a bunch of different mediums to help people see themselves as messengers. And we also are really invested in the global church. So we translate our discipleship resources and we've given them away in the millions. I mean, just in the last few years, we've given away over 30 million resources in over a hundred languages to the developing church, impacting around 500 million people. That's about what what we believe we've been able to impact. And so it's just, it's phenomenal. It's a huge privilege being able to be a part of that. Obviously we build a church here in the United States and Canada, connected with over 20,000 churches and giving them discipleship resources, traveling, speaking at events, doing all that kind of stuff. And then Sons and Daughters is is like a next generation expression of what Messenger is all about. So there you go. That's a that's a lot of stuff to communicate no, that's in a few minutes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> You're on an incredible life journey. And things that stand out to me right now, Addison, are just <clears throat> your upbringing and how you, you ran for a little bit. And then it's sure. like you had this moment where things really changed. And I look at what if things hadn't changed, you know, because it's so significant, the work that you're doing with the next generation. We just got out of a meeting where our friend Morgan was telling us about her roommate from college works for Messenger International. And she's like, you guys got to check out sonsanddaughters.tv. And we're like, well, actually, we're talking with Addison Bevere in a second. So that's really funny that's awesome. timing. And who, who is it? Who is it that works here? Oh, she never said her name, I don't think, did she? She never said her name? Yeah. So, yeah, our friend Morgan, it was her college roommate. Yeah, okay. from North Central up here in Minnesota, I believe. So. Yeah. It's probably Abby then. Abby, I think Abby, Abby went. Yeah, Abby, I think Abby went to Abby North Drown, Central. Abby yeah, Drown, maybe? That sounds right. That's, yeah. That yeah. sounds possible. Yeah, I knew where at North Central. Here we go. But Small world. <laughs> I just look at, too, our passion, even on this podcast, is talking about young adults in our world today and... Yeah. As we dive into this conversation, you have a new resource um, that you're carrying the name of Jesus and you're inspiring others to carry that name. And what a privilege and honor for all of our listeners to all those that we lead to carry the greatest name, the name above every name mm -hmm. in the yeah. name of Jesus. And so I just want to shout out you for congrats. I think you're a month into the new book journey. Am I right? Actually, is today a month? Today might actually be a month. I'm trying to, yeah, today is one month. Wow. So we're recording this. Man, I didn't even realize that. Thank you, Josiah, for pointing that out. Yes. So your newest <laughs> book, Saints, we're going to dive in and talk about saints. And cool. the first question I have for you is a question that sparks from, I have a buddy from, uh, grew up from kindergarten, actually through 12th grade with them. Mm. Saw him in church one day. Uh, about a year ago. It was so cool. He recognized my hair. I kind of have a mohawk when I spike it, yeah. faux hawk thing going on. And he's like, dude, he's like, I didn't know you go to this church. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is a great church. And saw him at the gym. And the last time I had seen him, he was high on drugs. Then he comes to church. And then I see him in the gym six months later. And he's like, I owe you an apology because I'm checking out the Buddhist faith now. I'm looking for a spiritual connection and I just wasn't feeling it. And so, Addison, I just want to yeah. ask you personally, why are people, my friends included, people that we meet, that maybe we work with, that we grew up with, that we bump into at the coffee shop every day, but why are people looking for spirituality outside of the church? Man, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> and, and there are, I mean, it's not like we can generalize and say everyone is this person who's gone through this experience looking for this answer. But I do think 
if we if we do have to generalize, what I would say is I would say we have a low view of God as the church. Mm-hmm. And A.W. Tozer, he made a comment. He said, a low view of God held amongst Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils in our world. Wow. And and if you look, if we go back to the beginning, if we go back to the book of Acts, we, we find Jesus in Acts chapter one. What is he doing? He's preaching one thing. Mm-hmm. He's teaching one thing. He's teaching the kingdom of God. And then what do his disciples do? They turn around and they're like, hey, so when are you going to restore the the kingdom to Israel. In other words, when are you going to make this about our comfort zone, our way of life, our idea of ministry, our idea of what it means to be followers of God? Like, when are you going to restore it to Israel's way? And he's like, no, no, no. You're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, like we are reframing this mission. I'm giving you a clear sense of purpose that requires you to extend into the, into the, into the fringes of society, into the places that you wouldn't normally go. And I think in many ways we've made God and the gospel too small and too okay. safe um, for a big world that has big questions. Now, notice I did not say that God and the gospel are too small. They are certainly not too small. But I think in our attempts to make God systematic, to make God mm. something that we can manipulate and control in a similar way to what the Pharisees did. Right. I mean, think wow. about them. And what Jesus did when he came onto the scene and disrupted their party, disrupted their comfort zones. I think we've fallen into that as a church. And so I think there are people out there who have big questions that need to be answered in the church for whatever reason. Um, Generally speaking, right? Like, again, I hate speaking in generalizations, but generally speaking, a lot of churches out there are willing to answer these questions. They're not willing to deconstruct those barriers between the secular and the sacred and help people see how following Jesus isn't just this quote unquote sacred practice that they do on Sunday. It's something that's supposed to infuse and invigorate every part of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think that disconnect, it causes people to be like, well, I'm one person when I'm at work and when I'm doing real life, and then I'm this other person at church and my church seems to have, it's like lost touch with the real world. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be someone who's known as like losing touch with the real world or so I, you know, I, I don't know if I want to do this whole church thing. And it's sad to see that. And they're finding that millennials, they're just not returning to church. So every with every generation, there's always this period of time where the generation will leave church. Mm-hmm. Totally. Late teens, early 20s. But what mm-hmm. they're finding with millennials, millennials aren't coming back. They're not coming back like previous generations. And so I think we need to have some honest conversations about why that's happening. And it, of course, it's easy to blame everything on the world and say like, well, you know, it's this person's fault or culture's fault. But I think we need to take a look at ourselves and be like, what can we do different as a church to create an environment where people feel safe to navigate the harder things about life within the walls of the church? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful illustration of recognizing those different elements and components because we can't just, like you said, we can't generalize, but we can definitely come alongside people when we have those one-on-ones, when we're leading the small groups from our homes to recognize what are the common questions that people are asking? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Do I matter? Is God real? Does God really hear me? Does he see me? Does he truly know me? And I think those those are the basic questions that we get asked just as pastors and to some it's like they can't get past that you know that's like what's my purpose calling purpose calling and these words that we use maybe in the church that are overused or christianese terms that a lot of people don't understand so they are more willing to seek those sources outside the how-to books how to become a better person how to experience breakthrough you know, whatever, read, read this for dummies or whatever. So we're seeing a lot of um, yeah. young adults reach outside of the church walls sure. and God is the answer and the church is part of the equation, you know? So it's fascinating yeah. to see and hear the things that you're, you've been exposed to, Addison. And we're going to dive into a little portion of your book because you talk about three reasons why our faith may be dying and how to revive it. Will you share with us those three reasons and those yeah, well, three things? Yeah, no, I, I think I think one of the reasons is this, and, and I can identify with it. I haven't liked calling myself a Christian for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. So sure. I, just, just to be honest with you, and it's not, it's not that I'm ashamed of Jesus. 
Um, I, I think Jesus is the one person who got this whole humanity thing right. I want to spend the rest of my life following his footsteps, learning his ways, reading his word, right? So it's, it has nothing to do with Jesus. I don't like the stereotypes, the labels, the stigmas that have been attached to this idea of what it is to be a cultural Christian. And so I think there are a lot of people out there, like they don't like the idea of what it is to be a Christian. I mean, culture and society, I don't know if you've heard this term, but it's getting used more and more referring to our world, this this world that we now experience and know here in the West as a post-Christian world. Totally. In other words, they're saying, we tried Christianity, it didn't work, now we're rejecting it, we're moving on to something else, something more. And you see this, I call it DIY spirituality hmm. that's on the scene. And that's because all of us know, it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that eternity was written on our hearts. Yeah. So there's a spaciousness, there's a largeness inside of us that cannot be denied. And so if people, if they're not searching for that within the arms of the one who is life, like they're going to go out and they're going to try to find that in other places. And normally they try to find that at the altars of sex, mm-hmm. stuff, and status, the mm-hmm. gods of this world. And wow. so I think that's a, I think that's a part of it. The first thing is like, there's this idea that people don't really want, even though they love Jesus or love God, like they don't want to call themselves a Christian. Mm-hmm. And that moves them into a place where they're separated from the church. They're not within the protection of the church. And because the church is, quote unquote, imperfect, they reject the church, which is really sad because the church has always been imperfect right. since yeah. day one. Yep. Go, go read Paul's people. letters. <laughs> like, it's always been imperfect. And here's what's sad. Prophetic disruption always comes from within. So these people who really do have a heart for the church and want to see the church restored to the heart of God, like you're not going to make that change from the outside. Mm-hmm. You make that disruption from the inside because what a prophet does, the prophet recaptures original intent, recaptures the wow. heart of God and says, we need to realign with the purpose and the intent that God has for this work, which is the church. And so that I would say that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is, and I alluded to it earlier, this idea of a barrier between the secular and the sacred. We have got to deconstruct that. When you look at Isaiah 11, 9, you look at Habakkuk 2, 14, you see this vision, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. The idea of the kingdom of God is God's sovereign rule invading every single space, every single person. It's a new way to be human. It's a new way to see our lives that prepares us for what's to come. And in a, and in a sense, prophetically ushers us in to what's to come. Yeah. So people need to see their everyday lives, their mundane as meaningful. And I'm concerned that we have lost sight of the fact that our job as ministers, our job mm-hmm. as leaders, our job as pastors is to equip the saints. Right. Ephesians 4.11, for the yep. work of the ministry. Yep. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which means that saints are the people who are going and doing everyday life. It also means that ministry is not a vocation ministry is actually an identity. It's Hmm. something that all of us are a part of. And I think there's a lot of people to your point about identity and purpose. It's my, they don't understand Mm -hmm. that every component of their existence is a part of their purpose. And I hate this. I hate this. Okay. So this is a pet peeve. I hate the term. I want to discover my purpose. People are like, I just want to discover my purpose. We treat it like it's a singular item that you can check off a list. Mm-hmm. But if you look at something like Proverbs 20, verse 4, where it says, purpose in the heart of man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding draws it out. Purpose isn't something you discover. It's something you cultivate. There's so Good. much that mm-hmm. we as people in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s, like there's so much that we don't understand about life, that we cannot understand about life right now. And I feel like our idea to know our full purpose right now is, is essentially a form of idolatry. We're like, God, I want you to tell me my purpose so I can get you out of the way so I don't have to rely on you, so I don't have to depend on you, so I don't have to be intimate with you, so I can know where I'm going and then I can just go and do my thing. Mm-hmm. I want to have all the control. I want to have all of the answers. And anytime we try to be self-sufficient with without God's spirit building our lives, restoring our lives, rejuvenating our lives, we unmake ourselves. That's the point in Romans 1 where Paul is describing the human condition mm-hmm. where he talks about how everything fell apart, how it all broke down. What happened? What do we find at the Genesis? This idea we started worshiping ourselves, mm-hmm. worshiping our idea of life outside or apart from God. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's the other thing. We got to deconstruct that barrier between the secular and sacred. So people who are in ministry are people who are scientists, who are stay-at-home moms, who are, you know, every, every, every sphere, every field, like those people, their lives need to be dignified as meaningful, as marked by calling, marked by purpose. Um, 
And then I think that allows us to recapture the significance of the mundane and everything meaningful happens in the mundane. Mm -hmm. So the enemy of our soul, he's terrified of us realizing that. Like, there's a reason why Jesus says in Matthew 6, like, don't worry about tomorrow, focus on today. Mm -hmm. You actually see tomorrow through today. So insight leads to foresight. Right. So if the enemy of your soul, if he can steal your day, he can steal your life. If he can compromise your present, he can compromise your future. That's good. So what he attacks, he goes after the mundane. He's like, you know what, what you're doing today really doesn't matter. Maybe 10 years from now, it'll matter. Maybe two years from now, when you have that degree or you get that promotion or you get married, maybe then your life will matter. I was at uh, Staples recently getting my TSA pre-check thing done. And um, the lady, she asked me what I did and I told her, and she's like, man, that's so cool that you do something that's meaningful. All I do is work at Staples. And y'all, I had like, I did not plan on saying this to her, but this came out of my mouth before I realized it was coming out of my mouth. I said, that's the great lie of human existence. Wow. Oh my god. And she gosh. just looked at me and I was like, I don't know this girl. Like, I don't know what her background is. I can't just say that. Like, I'm gonna need to explain myself. So I started explaining it to her. And I started explaining it through the terms of like God's kingdom and how God's kingdom ultimately advances at the intersection of relationship. First and foremost, God reconciling us to him. And then we serving as his ambassadors, reconciling the world to him, our world, every facet, every aspect of our world. And I started sharing that with her. And I started placing that within her life, like the context that I could see just based on knowing her for five minutes. Right. And she just, when I was done, she looked at me and she didn't say anything for like 10 seconds. I was like, oh, okay, this is awkward. And God then bless. she just said, <laughs> she's like, I was like, okay. And then she said, thank you so much. I've never seen my life like that. Wow. I've never heard that. You've made my week. And, and we just, we gotta dignify the mundane. Like we create these abstractions of impact that don't belong in our everyday lives. And we're stealing people, we're stealing purpose from people in the present and everything meaningful happens in the present. So I would say those are three, three big things because people don't see how their faith intersects with their everyday lives. Right. Man, Addison, that is three powerful things. And I just think of the importance of the role of the prophet that you talked about a second ago, because a prophet doesn't speak to where people are. It's to where where God's calling you and actually yes. who you are and not how you see yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by this is what does Paul do in Ephesians 1? We are sinners saved by grace, 100%. Like that yep. is a great description that he uses in other instances, but not as his greeting of choice. He calls the church in Ephesus the saints, mm -hmm. God's holy people in Ephesus. He yeah. doesn't say to the sinners saved by grace, that'd be true, but it wouldn't necessarily be prophetic. It wouldn't be calling them up to a higher yeah. purpose of what God has mm -hmm. actually created in them. And I just see this reimagination process happening and what you're talking about and the word recapture mm -hmm. really stands out to me because so many people in the outside world, at Staples, at Starbucks, wherever we go, mm -hmm. they need just a repainted image of Jesus and a repainted yeah. image of the church, God's yeah. people. and. There's a prophetic renaming that happens. And so, Addison, dive into why do people need a new name? Why, why do Christians need a new name? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great point, Josiah. So it's not that Christian is a bad term. I mean, we're all called to be Christians. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. It just becomes an issue when it's just cultural, when it really doesn't mean anything, when it's confusing. And if you look at the New Testament, and, and this is fascinating. When I saw this, it blew my mind. When if you look at the New Testament, the word Christian is used three times, mm -hmm. twice in Acts, once in First Peter. That's it. But the word saint is used over 60 times. All right, so let's just think oh about that. Used over 60 times. It was the identity. It was that that Paul would use when he would write his letters, to your point, he'd say to the, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Philippi. So what, what was he doing? Well, let's keep in mind who he was writing to. Paul was writing to Gentiles. So he was writing to the people who really, quote unquote, didn't belong under the Jewish way. He was writing to people who were new to the faith and he was calling them saints. And so what he was speaking to is he was speaking to the largeness that's inside of every single one of us. Amazing. And it's a statement of identity that reshapes their destiny. Mm -hmm. So we'd say you are a saint because you are a saint. This is what it means for you 
to be a saint in Ephesus, what it means for you to be a saint in Rome. And those letters, they continue to us today. And it's so sad to me that we have this idea of a saint as someone who is in a stained glass window, who has a halo on their head, who's uh, canonized by the powers that be in an institutional church. But the reality is we're all called to be saints, every single one of us. Death is not a precursor. Mm -hmm. It's not like death is not a requirement. In fact, the way Paul would use this language is very much an identifier that energizes the present. It gives meaning and purpose to the present. It gives uh, significance to the present. If you look at the early church, what were they doing? They were subverting cultural norms. They were turning the world upside down. They were reconciling people that didn't belong together. They were reaching out to the marginalized. They were impacting society's elite. They were doing things that no one else could do. Mm -hmm. They were disrupting the kingdom of this world because they caught a glimpse of a kingdom that required them to get outside of their comfort zones. They belong to a greater king. And that's what a saint is. A saint is someone who's a person of God's kingdom who lives and practices in the mystery and the Mm -hmm. power and the wonder of God's kingdom, merging the worlds of what is and what will be. So saints are people, they're people who operate in a sense, like Mm -hmm. in a prophetic way, because they don't see things just as they are. They see them as they could be, as they should be. And then they see what that requires of them in their everyday lives. I think that's beautiful. Just to take that in of recognizing all those different components of what you just talked about because we come across a lot of young adults a lot of young pastors who are who are wrestling with these things like how do I reach we just figure we just um, wrapped up a series called this matters with our students last night and we were talking about what does it mean to reach your neighborhood you know and if you if you don't understand how to love yourself you don't understand the love of Christ how do you love a stranger how do you you know live out to be a follower how do you how do you become a saint and how do you develop those characteristics of Christ you know and how do you it's almost how to's you know and and you don't know until you get there and you're working through a process because you're never going to arrive. I think the world has portrayed this false image on us of just like, well, when you get married, then you'll be somebody. When you graduate and get that degree, you'll be somebody. When you discover your purpose, you'll be somebody. When you fill in the blank, then you'll be somebody. And to recognize that we're never going to arrive until we see Christ face to face and we are fully whole and complete and in his presence. And those are some things I think of um, as you're just talking about those different components. Um, Well, too. To your point, yeah. real quickly, to your point, I think we have to, and I'm going to use a word that you used earlier, reimagine what it means to share our faith. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like when we share the faith right now, it's it's very transactional. So you need to do X, Y, and Z to be accepted. But when we study gospel, the gospel and we study scripture's narrative, going back to especially Genesis 12, we see the Abrahamic covenant, it's very relational. So the cross is first and foremost an expression of relationship because that goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, which is this promise that God made to impact every single nation, every single culture, every every single generation by becoming a part of a family. Yeah. And that's just, that's so beautiful. And when we share the gospel through that lens, everything changes. I was at a, I was doing a book tour for saints. I was in this restaurant. And I started talking with this guy, I was in Nashville. And um, he's like, what are you doing here? And I told him, he's like, man, I haven't been to church so long. He's like, I grew up in church, but I have been to church for so long. And we started talking about that typical stuff, disillusion with God, disillusion with the hypocrisy of the church. And, uh, and he just looks at me and he goes, but you know what? Uh, after I've had a few beers and I've smoked a couple joints, he's like, I start to think about God. Hmm. And, and I started speaking to that. And I was like, man, this is why. Like you were created for intimacy with your creator. Like that's what you were made for. And I talked about Ecclesiastes 3.11 and how eternity was written on his heart. And I, and I went through those things and I spoke to that connection and he leaned over, he showed me his arms. He's like, do you see the goosebumps on my arms? Amazing. He's like, do you see like what's happening to me? And I said, man, God's chasing you. Yeah. Like he's, he's after you. He wants intimacy with you. Like you, and I said, you've chased the good life at the altars of sex, stuff and status. Right. And you have found that it doesn't give you what you want. He's offering the only thing that can satisfy the deepest parts of who you are. Yep. I think if we speak that language with people, you bypass their head knowledge, you bypass yep. their safeguards. Cause you speak to something that they cannot deny. 
It was woven into the fabric of their being. Like they just cannot deny these truths. They're a priori truths. They're a part of who they are. Yep. If you speak to that, if you speak to that truth in your neighbor and your friend and whoever, the conversation about God, about church, about redemption, salvation becomes very different. Yeah, I completely agree. Addison, you had said a very specific word, uh, two words, a good life, the good life. Yeah. How do you find the ever elusive, quote unquote, good life? Can you expound upon that? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I start the book, actually, a book on saints. I start the book with a chapter on the good life. And it's because we're obsessed with this idea of the good life. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the best selling books, top podcasts, top YouTube channels. I mean, everyone's offering in some form a path to the good life. Right. And, and we want this because we were made for it. Like we were made for a goodness that we have only tasted in parts. And so it, they're able to trick us because we know we were designed to experience it. So we're looking for it. And I make the point in chapter one that the good life, it isn't something we find. It isn't something we achieve. It's not limited to a certain socioeconomic status. It's not limited to a certain culture. It's someone we become. So the good life isn't something you find, it's someone you become. And this journey of becoming saints, the journey of becoming the people of God as he has already spoken over us, as he has declared over us, that is where we find the life we were created for. That's where we find the life of meaning and purpose and belonging that we crave. I mean, that that idea, this idea of the good life, telos, flourishing, it goes all the way back mm-hmm. to ancient philosophy. I mean, this is not this is not a new concept. And you would think just studying human history that we would know by now that you're not going to find it at the altars of sex, stuff and status. Right. Right. But what's so amazing is when you actually do understand the goodness of life, what we were made for, sex, stuff and status, find their purpose, find their beauty, find their meaning within life. And it's sad to me that religion has looked at those three things. And and in many seasons, if you study church history, made those things bad things. Mm -hmm. And they are bad when they become ends in and of themselves, but they are beautiful gifts when they're understood within God's design Mm -hmm. for our humanity. You know, Addison, um, Coldplay has this song, A Head Full of Dreams. And I, I like Coldplay and I like that song. Because I think it speaks to, I have a head full of an imagination. I have a head full of dreams. I'm very visionary and futuristic. And my greatest fear in that is that I would waste the now being in love with the future. Mm -hmm. And I would wish my life in the present as it is away. And one of my good friends just, I was sharing some dreams, sharing a vision with him. And he's like, hey, that's great, man. I believe that's going to come to pass. He's like, but I would just challenge you to love the season you're in. He's like, yeah. he's like, take advantage of it. He's like, embrace the now, like enjoy the life that you're living now. And I would just ask for listeners who might be like me, maybe they have a vision of a preferred future. Maybe they have dreams of what could be and should be that are given by God. What would you say to us, to me, to that person who's excited about the future? How can we embrace the now? That's off script, but I just feel yeah. prompted to ask that personally. Yeah. And I believe that'll apply to somebody else too, listening. No, Josiah, I think that's a great question. Um, I would say a few things. Number one, we, like with so many things in life, we view this as an either or thing, but it's not. Like you can be a dreamer and you can be profoundly present and you're actually called to do both. And and as I shared earlier, insight will actually lead to foresight. So Mm. the more present you are in this moment, the more you're going to be able to see what God has for you in the future. That's that's how it works. I've seen that personally and and I've seen that in the lives of the people that have been able to lead. So I would say first and foremost, like you got to deconstruct that either or. Yeah, it's both. Totally. And then I would also tell you this about God. See, God, he's he knows you can't handle everything about your future. So what God does is he uses dreams as abstractions for the vision that he has for your life. Okay. So look at Joseph. God gave Joseph these dreams that were abstractions. Mm -hmm. Like just think about the dreams themselves. They were like inception, right? Like when we think of dreams, we think of inception. Like they're crazy dreams, like planets and sun and moon bowing down, sheaves of wheat bowing down. And Joseph took that and he was like, well, I'm going to be the leader of my small tribal family. But was that God's big idea? Not at all. No, not at all. But that was that was his context. 
That was all he knew. Right. And so what does God do? God disrupts his context. Three times it says that God sent wow. Joseph to, to Egypt. What does he do? He disrupts his context, gives him a new place to dream, prepares him for the realization of the dream, which is actually the vision, which is what God had envisioned for this 17-year-old boy that he gave a dream to. So I see so many people, they have these dreams and they take the dream and they put it in their context today. <laughs> and they're like, let's do this right now. Let's make it happen. Like, what do I got to change? We need to make it. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm seeding you for something that I'm going to do because I will disrupt your con- your context. I will create discomfort in your life, but a part of learning faithfulness for when that dream, when that vision comes about is learning how to be in the moment, learning how to serve, like using Joseph as, a, as an example, be faithful in Potiphar's house, mm-hmm. be faithful when he was in the prison, be faithful in that journey. It prepared him for this profound service where his faithfulness was literally affecting an entire nation, Egypt, saving his brother. Let's just think about it. Judah. Who did Jesus come from? Not Joseph. Right. Judah. Wow. Judah. So Joseph. Okay. So just think about 17 year old Joseph. Could he have handled? Okay. (laughs) This is what's going to happen. You're going to save Egypt. And you're also going to save your brother. Who's actually going to be um, the great, 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 great grandfather of the savior of the world. So you better get your life right. Wow. 17 year old. Can you handle that? Not a chance. No. So what does God do? God gives us bits and pieces. He gives us dreams. He gives us abstractions of what he has planned for us to, to fill us with hope, to fill us with expectation, but don't take that stuff, move it into today and be like, I got to figure this out. No, God will journey with you and through you if you stay patient through mm-hmm. the process, because the process is what creates capacity for the promise. So the dream, the vision, that's the promise. The process creates capacity. And that's something that we as a generation, I don't think we really understand that because we can get so many things instantly. Mm-hmm. And God's saying like, no, I have got to develop your character. I've got to develop your capacity because I have something amazing in store for you. So it's both. You got to learn how to dream. You got to learn how to see the future. We got to do that through the day. Does that answer your question? Oh Josiah? my gosh, Addison! He's taking I, notes like a madman over here. <laughs> I, I do. I'll listen to it again later. But I feel like that spoke to my soul, and I I really pray that that in, encourages somebody else who can maybe relate with the season that I'm in right now. Yeah. So I'm going to ask one more question off of that, Addison, just because I love yep. the story of Joseph, and I just love your excitement, even just as you're telling the story and bringing forth the significant awareness. Um, for the listener, maybe somebody does have a Joseph-sized dream or God has given them a sleep dream or a literal vision of their future. How do they, as a dreamer, become a doer in that process without stepping outside of God's will? And like Joseph said, hey, yo, brothers, this is what's going to happen. You're going to bow down to me, you know, and, and God did <laughs> and they, have to reroute They're him. like, oh, we'll see about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Get out of the pit this time, you know, um, because God gave me yeah. a vision before I even met Josiah. I was praying for my future spouse and I said, Lord, I want to see his face. I've been praying and fasting for three and a half years. It was total. And I'm like, Lord, I want to see his face. And I lived in North Dakota. Josiah had not yet met him, but he gave me a vision of downtown Minneapolis that I didn't know at the time was. And there was a vision of this gentleman who looked exactly like Josiah sitting next to me. And the moment... I have the faux Yep. (laughs) We had a black hat on this one right here, actually, from the dream. So I had a dream, but when I met him in real life, my first words were not, you're the guy from my dream and God told me I'm going to marry you. It was holy cow, he's sitting in front of me. And I remember meeting him and shaking his hand, looking him in the eyes, recognizing, okay, this is the guy on the bridge for my dream that I've been praying for and about not knowing who it was. And in that moment, God goes, yup. He didn't say yes, that is the one. He goes, yup. And I'm like, holy cow. So how do I start praying into this potential future relationship while respecting who he is in this moment and not, you know, scaring the, you know, daylights out yes. of him of saying, like, yeah. God told me I'm going to marry you. If they do that, run, like seriously. <laughs> yes, don't, but do not do that. What would you people. say for don't somebody who has had dreams, maybe similar to mine or maybe for their ministry yeah. or book or a platform yeah. that God has shown them without them 
skipping steps or running people over in the process? Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it's a great question. So I think first I'll say you need to share it with the right people. There, there are right people and there are wrong people mm-hmm. to share it with. If, if you notice in, in Joseph's account, it, it talks about his brothers and it talks about his father and how his father re- rebuked him, but then pondered it. His father was a safe person. Did you, have you ever caught that in mm-hmm. the story? Like his, his father rebuked wow. him, but then he pondered it. His brothers, they were threatened by it. And so you only share this with someone who's who sees more in you than you can see in yourself. Right? You don't share these things with people who would compete with you. You just don't do that mm-hmm. or who don't understand your journey. It's just it's foolish. Um, I think it's important for us to understand. And, and going back to what we talked about earlier, we we fall prey to this illusion that the next thing is the thing. Yeah. Right? Whether yeah. that's discovering my spouse or writing a book or starting a ministry or yeah. having kids like the next thing. Here's a great way to cure yourself of that. Ask yourself the question. And then what? Hmm. That's good. So I get married. And then what? <laughs> graduate college and then what <laughs> it keeps you where you are right now it does. which is rather important uh, the point of all of this okay so the point of all of it the point of marriage the point of vocation the point of writing a book the point of starting an issue whatever the point of the dream the vision mm-hmm. the point of it is to bring you to the one behind it all of it mm-hmm. so the only way to expedite the journey or the process is by drawing near to the one behind the process or the one behind the journey so i would say in your situation the best way for you to move forward with josiah would be to draw closer to god exactly in that season did. yep and he would give you the wisdom and the perspective that you need to draw close with josiah so if we look at the children of israel again i'm just going to use this as, as an example because mm-hmm. we're on it they spent 40 years in the wilderness it should have only taken two weeks. Wow. Okay. Two oh, weeks. Why did they spend so much time in the wilderness? Because they refused to meet with God at the mountain. Wow. Exodus 19, Exodus 20. They were like, nope, set up a bunch of rules and regulations, set up a mediator. We don't want to be a nation of kings and priests. We want to have something that looks familiar to what we've seen. Let's do it like this. They didn't encounter God. They didn't draw close to God. So then God couldn't bring them into the promised land because they hadn't encountered the promiser. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of the promised land, the whole point of the promise is to draw you closer to the promiser. And that's what prepares you for marriage, prepares you to write the book, prepares you to start a ministry, prepares you for leadership. So I would say that's the big thing. If you want to quote unquote expedite your process, which I even hate that idea, but (laughs) if you want to make sure that you don't spend unnecessary time in the quote unquote wilderness, draw close to the one who's behind the promise or behind the dream. That's excellent. Oh my gosh, this is so fun, Addison. And speaking of fun, we like to close our podcast by asking our guests five final thoughts, five questions in five minutes or less. So that means there's five questions. You get 60 seconds for each one. And you're on the clock. You're on the timer. Are you up for the challenge? He's warmed up now. He's ready. (laughs) Cool. So I'll kick us off with the first one. In your travels, what are some of the trends that you are seeing happening across the landscape of next gen and young adult ministry within the church? I'm seeing a lot of people looking to this DIY spirituality idea. And I want to see people recapture what it means to be the people of God in today's world and how that reaches into every part of their lives. And as I've been able to share saints on the road, that's been the big thing. People have come up to me and they'll be like, I don't like calling myself a Christian. Thank you for giving me new language. Like, thank you for helping me see that my purpose extends into every part of my life. So I would say that's the big thing. I think a lot of young people are having a hard time seeing how their quote unquote church life mm-hmm. marries or, or it harmonizes with their quote unquote real life. Yeah, that's good. All right, asking question number two. You, we talked about this earlier, maybe off script, but we are becoming parents for the first time. Baby K in May. Baby K in May. Could you give us some parental advice about how to raise a pastor's kid who loves the Lord and the church? Because you're yes. obviously a pastor's kid raised in that setting. What advice yep. would you have? A parental I would say <laughs> I would say something that my parents did very well and that my wife and I were doing our best to do very well is uh, they were the same people wherever we found ourselves. They were the same people at home that they were when they were, quote unquote, uh, doing ministry mm-hmm. on on the platform, meeting with people. They were the same. And when they weren't, they were quick to apologize. That's, That's the true. other thing. My parents apologized a ton. Humility creates safety. 
So if you want your kids to feel safe around you, you need to model humility as a parent. It also says in James 4 and 1 Peter 5 that God gives grace to the humble, which grace is the ability to do what was previously impossible for us to do. And you'll learn this as parents, like it's impossible to raise kids. Like it really is. Like you realize what it is to pray, what it is to rely on God. And um, so when, when it's, there's an atmosphere of humility, mm-hmm. um, it creates a lot of safety and that's huge for families. That's good. Well, we've kept you on your toes throughout this interview, throwing you a couple curveballs. If you could flip the script and you were asking Micah or I or both of us one question a day, what question would you have? What would that question be? Man, I would say, what's the greatest felt need that y'all encounter amongst young adults? Like greatest felt need that they're looking for the church to meet or the, the question that they're looking to the church to answer? What, what would you say that is the greatest felt need? I'll take 30 seconds. It might might be something different. I see one of the greatest felt needs of young people is they're really connected digitally, but really lonely physically. And I just read an article from Harvard about how loneliness has the same effect on your body over time as 15 cigarettes a day. And it just slowly deteriorates your mind, your body, your Mm -hmm. spirit, your soul. We're not created to do life alone, but instead to have a tribe around us. And I think the, the greatest call to action for the church is if we're on fire for Jesus. He didn't do life alone. It wasn't life like Tom Hanks in Castaway on an Island. It was together. It was communal. It was sharing. It was loving. It was food. It was prayer. It was meeting needs. Mm -hmm. It was growing every day. And so I think that the call to action is we got to step up our game in doing life with each other in terms of a lot of saints will give you the address and directions anywhere except their own home. Mm. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that we need to be quick to have people over, go mm. to where people are, and just do life Good. on life. Right. I would just add to that of, of something that you already had alluded to, two different words, transactional versus relational. Because a student or young adult or even a young family knows when they are a project. They know when they mm-hmm. walk into a place like, oh, not there you are. It's you know, that's something that we talk about. It's just like, oh, there you are, not here I am. You know, so I think young adults need to know that they are loved, that they are cherished, that they are valued. But one thing that we see in ministry is like, we really challenge our students, get into prayer and get into the word of God. Because yeah. they're yeah. like, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to know what God's will and I want to love him. Okay, tell me the last time you read your Bible. It might have been like three weeks ago. When's the last time you prayed? I don't pray out loud. So I think two challenges that the church is not always aware of or challenging from the platform is saying, hey, don't take my word for it. After this message, dig into the word and see if yeah. what I preached and what God laid on my heart aligns truly with the word of God. So if we want to live in God's will as young adults, we need to be in the word. So if we're not in the That's word good. of God, we there's no way we can be in the will of God. And so, and through that, prayer needs to be established. So those are things I challenge many of the girls that I work with and see and just get get to come alongside and pray with of challenging them in that way. And they're like, you're never going to, you're never going to believe what God, I feel like he spoke to me. Now they're identifying, I'm hearing the voice of God. Like the words on the Bible, in the Bible, they're coming to life. Did you know this, Micah? Did you know that? It's like, you want to start a slow clap and be like... (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I did know yeah, that. Because once that starts, like it, you don't stop. Like it's just that's what the writer of Hebrews means. Like when you've tasted the heavenly gift, like when you've really known yeah. what it is to to know God, to to realize that you are a son or a daughter. Like there's there's nothing else that will satisfy you. Just yeah, just won't. Absolutely. All right. Here's another question for you. Would you be willing to tell us one of the most epic failures that you have experienced? Our listeners love to hear from failure because we, can all, huh? because we can all learn before we get there. <laughs> okay, 60, 60 seconds. I need to go fast. Okay, so one of the ones that still hits me in different ways today, when I had my third kid, 
we went through some pretty significant things as an organization, some pretty significant transitions, and I did not handle it well. I took on the stress and the weight and the anxiety of the world, and it caused me to shut down. And this was when we were having our third kid. And I remember like my wife having our third kid and like five minutes later, I'm doing work. Mm -hmm. It was that bad. And I wasn't really there. I wasn't present. And she, uh, my third was the hardest one for me to bond with because of that. And it took, it took a while because I wasn't there. And that's one of the reasons why this idea of being present is so dear to me mm-hmm. because I look back now and I'm like, man, I was not the dad I should have been in that season. And, and God, of course, has redeemed it. And we have a beautiful relationship and he, he does what only God can do through mm-hmm. situations like that. But I would just encourage people like learn from my mistake, be present, be there in those moments. Nothing else, nothing else is as important as that. That's so, good. yeah. Thanks for being vulnerable yeah, and sharing Thanks for that. going there. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for going there, yeah. Addison. The last question that we have that we like to leave with is we know you're a leader of leaders and we know that God's given you a voice and the opportunity to carry his name. And if, if somebody handed you a microphone and the room was filled with college pastors and young adult ministry leaders, what is the one thing that you would leave them with? Man. I would say this is something that I've been meditating on a lot, but in Christ, death isn't a thief of the future. It's a gift of the present. And it's that whole idea. If you don't find something worth, worth dying for, you're not going to find something worth living for. Mm -hmm. And we have got to give back to Jesus's invitation to deny self, take up our cross and follow him. And we have been trying to use the gospel to appease Mm -hmm. the Western ideal of the good life. And it's leaving Christians, actually in this place where they're looking for something outside of the gospel because we haven't presented the gospel as it actually is. We try to water it down to make it more accessible. And if we give people something worth dying for, something worth trading their lives for, that's what people are looking for. Even with all these conversations about calling and identity, they're looking for something greater to trade their lives for because they know they were created for something greater. We give them that they're going to come alive. And I've seen that. I've seen that in my own life. I've seen in the lives of people who I've been able to walk this journey with. When you give people something worth dying for, they come alive. And that's what we have to do. If we're going to lead people into everything God has for them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. What a note to leave people with that we have an opportunity to carry the name that is worth dying for, that is worth living for. And I love it, Addison. Thank you so much for the great conversation today, for joining us. And everyone, you can find out. Oh, of course. Everyone, you can find out more about Addison Bevere, Messenger International, sonsanddaughters.tv, as well as his newest book, Saints, when you connect with us in the show notes and on our website at youngadults.today. So until next time, this is Mike and Josiah with Addison Bevere. Get your Saints book today. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Plug me in. I'm getting judged up.